I'm Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage industry. It's time to pay attention. Come on, people. Think about it. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Mortgage industry is not rocket science. Your guide to the information you can use to choose the best answers to your real estate financing questions. If that loan agent tells you that, get up and run away. Now, here's your host on State and Islay. Your guy in the mortgage industry, Guy Rivera. Okay, here we are. It's Tuesday, April 3rd, year of our Lord. 2018. We are doing Mortgage Matters here in beautiful Santa Barbara. I'm Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage industry, and um, I'm here with my trusted and trusty uh, engineer, Mr. Richard Dugan. Good afternoon, Richard. How are you today? Well, that's great to know. Have you been here all weekend long? All week long? Great. Have you checked our answering machine? Did uh, Jeff Bridges call for me? How about how about Miller? Dennis Miller. We're podcasters now. We're podcasting. Hasn't called. Well, I'm looking for my. Uh, right now, I'm looking for my NMLS number because uh, kind of lost it. But while I'm doing this, here we go. So I got to get my disclosures out of the way. My name is Guy Rivera. I'm with Guarantee Mortgage Santa Barbara. We are a division of American Pacific Mortgage. My NMLS number is 57662. My BRE number is 01220403. American Pacific Mortgage NMLS is one eight five zero. Their BRE number is zero one two one five nine four three. Interesting news. It's now BRE, but it was DRE. Now we're going to go back. It was DRE. We went to BRE. Now we're going to go back to DRE. They're cracking down on real estate agents that are not listing their. Their license numbers on any and all consumer advertising. Their signs, their advertising in Casa Magazine, their advertising in The Independent. Wherever they print their ads, they have to have their license number. For good reason. A lot of those guys, you know, there's great real estate agents here in Santa Barbara. Then there's not so great. But you can look that number up. On the BRE website, consumer, BRE website, consumer, and they will, they'll tell you whether your loan agent has had infractions on their license, if they've been suspended, if they've done naughty things that they shouldn't be doing. It behooves you to look up your agent that you're about to engage in one of the largest transactions that you will embark upon in your whole life. Um, also your loan agent, your lender, it's a good idea to look them up as well on NMLS consumer, NMLS consumer. They go right to their company. If the company's been fine, if the company's been in trouble, if that loan agent has been doing naughty things, it all comes out in the wash. And 
Once you have that background, you can make an informed decision on who you would like to deal with, put your trust into, because that's huge. You want to have a trusted advisor. You want to have that advisor clean, uh, background, great referrals, great references. You know, you want to feel good about the transaction you're going into. A couple of things I want to get, (coughs) excuse me, under my belt here is we're going to have a really good show. I've got, I've got two people coming on. They're in a different world than I am, but it's still around the financial world. They're going to be talking about a very interesting new, I don't know how new it is. I don't know how old it is. It's, uh, but I do know the counterpart on 1031 exchanges, the counterpart on 1031 exchanges applies to investment properties. Um, these guys are pretty smart. I met with them yesterday. They sound pretty sharp. They definitely know what they're talking about. And they're going to come and explain how a 1031 trust can work on your primary residence. It sounded pretty interesting to me. They're going to come and explain it. Um, and, and hopefully it's going to be as interesting to you as it was to me. Michael Mirando and Kelly Slot. Kelly's been a local gal here for a very, very long time. Everybody knows Kelly. Um, Michael Mirando's a transplant, but he seems like a really nice guy. And uh, we're gonna, they're going to be coming into the radio station here in about 15, 20 minutes. We're going to get them on the, on the air. They can have the second half of my show and just tell us how this works. Because if you can defer some taxes, put that money to work in a safe haven, why not? Why not consider it at least? Why not talk about it? Why not look into it? A lot of people are closed-minded on new programs that come out because they haven't been around. Now, I don't think it's a Ponzi scheme, but I do know that the concept sounds very, very interesting to me. And um, and they're going to come here and explain it. But until then, we're going to move on with my show. Uh, if I start coughing, I apologize. I bought some cough drops. I got some sort of a scratchy throat thing going on, but bear with me. <coughs> Yesterday, mortgage bonds, they came, you know, they, they, they started the second quarter. We're in their second quarter now, modestly lower. Traders began to gear up for the closely watched jobs report for March, which expected to hit employer, which which is expected that U.S. employers added 175,000 jobs last month. We'll have more on the jobs report uh, as the week progresses. But that jobs report, I think it comes out on Friday. It does come out on Friday. Friday the. Average work week, non-farm unemployment rate, (coughs) jobs report. Actually, it's coming out tomorrow, employment report. And that's got a pretty high impact on rates. It's going to have an impact, a high impact on the 10-year note that right now is our gauge for where rates are going up or down. Um, Last week, the past couple of weeks, that that 10-year has been trading in a range of above 2.8 we've seen it below 2.8 
between 2.65 and 2.75, and rates have actually settled down. You know, I was talking about rates hitting another level, and they have. I'm hoping they settle here because rates are actually really good. Um, Underwriting is getting a little bit more aggressive. Rates are settling down. They found a good level, and, uh, you know, the... The economic data that's coming out will uh, dictate where they go from here. We're going to really see some movement tomorrow, but we're going to really see some movement on Friday the 6th. Average work week, hourly earnings, non-farm payrolls, unemployment rate. Those all have high impact on that 10-year, have high impact on our rate. So if they come out smoking, if they surpass expectations we'll see a sell-off in the barn market we'll see rates tick back up to that other level that we have ticked down from uh stocks they were actually they were unchanged in the beginning but man did they take a brutal beating at the end of the day yesterday right richard did you see that they were down like 400 points or something it was ugly the bond continues to trade in a sideways pattern, um, which I, what I was just talking about was stocks under some pressure. Continue, um, continue your position. It's a good position right now. Probably everybody's 401k probably went way up from the beginning of the year, and then it's probably settling back down. But everything's settling back down. Like I said, the rates have found a great level. So with that. Richard's giving me that finger. We're going to take a quick commercial break. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. I'm Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage industry. We'll be right back. You are correct, sir. Okay, we are back, and I just had my guest... Kelly Slot and Michael Miranda walk in. Uh, I'm going to bring them in after the next commercial break, but say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. This is Michael Miranda. And Kelly Slot. Okay, so um, this portion of the show, guys, what I was doing is just going over the market a little bit. I'm going to um, telling our listeners, told them a little bit about you, told them a little bit about what the market was doing how the bonds are affecting our rates where we're at as far as rates go right now um rates have come to a different level right now but they're still great you know we're still financing multi-million dollar homes and we're financing you know va loans um 625 no money down on a va loan that's and and they're way below the market rate so those loans are actually very, very great product. A very great product for the vets, if they can utilize it. The underwriting on a VA loan is, you know, very aggressive. Very aggressive underwriting, and it's lenient. Um, you know, they really go out of their way to take care of our vets, uh, as far as purchasing homes, refinancing taking care of them and it shows i mean it really shows in some of the underwrites that i get back and stuff that would not even come close to being approved on a conventional loan 
we're getting approved for VA loans. Also, what I want to bring to the attention of any vets out there, I know Johnny listens to my show. He's uh, with uh, Naval Intelligence or Naval Crime Scene Investigator. He's the guy, one of those real guys, really cool guy. Um, you know, those VA loans have no maximum loan limits. You can, you know, if you, the, they're dictated by our conforming loan, loan limits here in our county. But if you wanted to go up above the normal conforming loan limits, all you need to do is come in with a certain percentage of the adjusted loan amount up and above that. I think it's like 20, 25%. And you can go ahead and finance up to a million or two million dollars with very little down payment, as long as you can, um, you know, afford the payment. And again, VA loans are very aggressive underwriting. They're very lenient. The rates are are below current market rates, so, and they're they're just great loans all the way around. And we're doing a lot of them. So I encourage any vet. If you have a conventional loan, I don't know why you would, if you have this benefit available to you, give me a call. Let me take a look at your eligibility. We can order everything for you uh, as far as positioning, you know, your, your certificate of eligibility, position you to be able to get VA financing. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. If it's a no down payment, makes a ton of sense, but I just... Ran some numbers for a uh, for a guy who came in my office who wanted to put 20% down and get a VA loan. Well, it was his first time. He would still have to pay a VA funding fee. We ran the numbers. It didn't make sense because on top of what he's going to be getting, you know, he's paying that VA funding fee, and he has a nice down payment, 20 to 25% down. So it doesn't make sense. What does make sense for him, we looked at it, is if you know if that's the case, it's his final, as he put it. I'm going to leave my bones here in Santa Barbara, so he's going to be paying down his rate. He's going to buy down the rate, pay points, buy the rate down, live happily ever after. Great retired couple moving here to be with their kids. I love this kind of story. We have them approved already. It's been a day since we got their stuff. We got it in yesterday. They got approved today. And um, they're out shopping with one of my favorite real estate agents, great gal, Jean Cedar. She's out there trying to find them a house. She just sold another house to some great clients of mine uh, that we're about to close on. We've got a great network um, of referral partners. And, and we're going to bring in Kelly and Michael as hopefully – Another part of our network referral partner source. They, as I was telling you in the beginning of the show, they, they have something unique, something different, something that caught my attention because, one, I've, I've been doing this for so long. I've been in our industry. I've dealt with 1031 exchanges on a non-owner-occupied basis. You know, 1031s are like, you know, breakfast to me. It comes very simple, very easy. I know exactly what to do. But that's not an investment property. That's a non-owner-occupied piece of property, a $10 million commercial property that we've done exchanges with, you know, and, you know, a half a million dollar uh, for unit that we've done exchanges with. But what they have is something completely, well, I don't know if it's different. I can't say it because I don't know enough about it. I am going to have um, 
Michael and Kelly talk about it when we come over, when we come back from our next uh, commercial break. Um, but until then, call me about vet- uh, VA loans. They're, they're out of this world. The intermediate arms are not being as aggressive as they are right now, and the, the reason why is our secondary investors have pulled together a lot of those loans. Their, their inventory is full. So their appetite for those things are not as aggressive as they were, say, 24 to 36 months ago when you were getting them, you know, in the 3.5% range. We were doing financing of, you know, $5 million at 3.5%. Um, now that, that same loan with 20% down <coughs> is, um, you know, 4 and an eighth, 4 and a quarter. There's some... Lenders out there that have an appetite for them, but it's really far and few between and extremely hard. They make that, um, they've added some layers of um, loan level pricing adjustments and some, some overlays on those programs to make them a little bit more difficult. When you used to qualify a borrower and a buyer at uh, <coughs> two above, on a five-year, 2%, and I've talked about this before, 2% above the start rate on a five-year, or you qualify them at the start rate on a seven-year, but the fully indexed rate now is higher than the start rate. So what I mean by that is if you're starting somebody at 4%, but at a fully indexed rate uh, with the LIBOR, and that's at four and a half index plus the margins higher than the start rate that's what they're going to be qualifying you on it's a rookie mistake it's a rookie mistake if you're looking into an intermediate arm make sure you educate your loan officer that you heard it here hey look i like the intermediate arms what am i what am i being qualified at because i've seen that come up and bite people in the ass where we had to actually take over loans, readjust them, rework them. Um, again, the panic button sets in, and then we were able to to get them funded when the other guys couldn't. We just moved them over to a lower margin, moved them over to lower index so that that qualifying issue was not as big of an issue as they were having over at my competitor. And don't get me wrong, we all play in the same sandlot here, Santa Barbara. All the good lenders, we all talk, we all work together, um, and there's a lot more. There's some that are better than others and a lot more worse than others. So talk to the right lender, talk to the right real estate agent, and um, have all your ducks in a row before you make the move to go ahead and purchase. But the next half hour we're going to talk, next 20 minutes, we're going to be talking about selling your home and what you can do with the proceeds or how you can avoid to, I, I don't want to really go into it because I don't know enough about it but we're about to go on to a commercial break we're going to bring Kelly and Michael back in they're going to explain what they do how it's going to benefit you if it sounds right when you go to sell your asset on a primary residence basis. Sky Rivera, your guy in the mortgage industry, just remember that this show is rebroadcast Tuesdays at 10, Sundays at noon, 
We'll be right back. Okay, we are back, and I'm excited to have Kelly Slot and Michael Miranda with us. Um, they said hello earlier, but let's get them to say hello again. Kelly, say hello. Hello, it's Kelly Slot here. How, how's everyone today? They're not going to answer you, but Michael, go no, ahead. No, I wanted you to answer me and our fine men here doing this the... This is the Radio the Land. Audio. They don't answer back. Michael? Yeah, this is Michael Miranda. Good afternoon to you. Okay, so this is, this is very interesting. Kelly... Uh, Kelly Slot and Michael Miranda are registered representatives of Cent- uh, Centaurus Financial, and they've got a long disclosure here that I'm going to read at the end of our show because I, I think what they're doing is, is, is pretty interesting. It's interesting to me, um, and I'm hoping it's interesting to you. Um, registered representatives of Centaurus Financial, uh, estate planning team, and we're going to talk about a, a deferred sales trust so let's just jump right into it i'm going to ask point blank and who's going to answer first callie i'm answering okay what is the deferred sales trust okay a deferred sales trust is an installment type of sale but if you don't want to pay taxes on a highly appreciated asset a deferred sales trust is what we would set up prior to you closing escrow Set up the trust, sell the asset within the trust, and then you don't have to pay taxes on that. And a great example for me to give you is I had a client. She inherited years ago um, a million-dollar piece of property that happened to be a gas station here in town. And all these years later, she went to sell it. It was worth $5 million. So she had a $4 million gain that she was going to have to pay taxes on. She didn't want to buy any more real estate. She was tired of managing all the things that happen with when you manage real estate. So she was tired of that. She just wanted to take the money, create some income off of that. So what we did instead of her just selling the property and paying the taxes on that is we set up a deferred sales trust for her and sold it within the deferred sales trust. There was no taxes at the time. Now she's got $5 million to use as income-oriented types of investments that we could then do for her, create income for her. And defer the taxes. So the name of it is is very specific. It's a deferred sales trust. It's been around for 21 years. So when you set these up, you defer the taxes. So at some point, the taxes will have to be paid, but you can defer them 5, 10, or 20 years. And it's a great way to create income off of the the proceeds of a highly deferred, uh, I'm sorry, a highly appreciated asset. I, I have a question. Installment sale that is based on IRS, I, I, IRS 453 installment sale. So what does that mean? Basically, the code that is out there for the IRS is IRC code 453, which is the rules around an installment sale. So this is a precedent in IRS code that's been out there for nearly a century. What we've done here at the estate planning team in the utilization of the deferred sales trust is to utilize the installment sale process, which a lot of real estate owners are very familiar with. But what we're doing is we're creating a trust in the middle of that transaction and releasing the buyer carryback financing. And so in essence, 
a standard real estate transaction takes place, but the installment sale goes from the sale of the property into the deferred sales trust, upon which a note is then uh, generated back to the or the seller of the property, and now they have access to those uh, uh, benefits from the sale of the real property. What's the term of that installment sale? How long is that? Uh, 15 years, traditional, 30-year, 20? What is that? Traditionally, we do it in 10-year tranches, and it is renewable every 10 years. And depending on how we set up the estate planning, we can go even multi-generational. So the, the, the owner of the property is the seller, and he's selling that property on an installment basis to this deferred sales trust. Is that right? Well spoken. So he's selling it to the trust. How does he get paid? Where does, how? Your buyer. Who benefits you from the deferred sale. Yeah, I if mean. a buyer out there on a traditional real estate sale is going to come <coughs> to you for mortgage financing. He is going to buy that home. And when he buys the home, you, the bank, sends the money to the trust, your intermediary. And the transaction takes place like a standard real estate transaction or a standard 1031 exchange type process. The money transacts within the, uh, the real estate process. Okay, so, um, so I have a piece of property that I bought. 15 years ago. I bought it for $500,000. It's now worth a million two. If I wanted to sell this property, do I sell that to the trust right now and then move out later? Or no, you have that... you have a buyer for your property. Oh, you, I have a buyer for the property. Yeah, so you have a buyer, so the transaction takes place, but right before it takes <coughs> place, that asset gets transferred into the trust, and then the trust, in essence, buys buys the property and then sells it to your buyer. So that's why there's no taxes on that. Oh, I see. So okay. that's how the taxes. And let me let me uh, make something very clear here. It's on any highly appreciated asset. So most folks in Santa Barbara have real estate as their very highly appreciated asset. But I have another a number of clients that have artwork that's very highly appreciated. They have cars. That's very typical in this town to have uh, cars. I have one client that bought a car for $4,000 in the 1960s, and it's worth about $2, 3000000 million today. <laughs> it's just a nice problem to have. But he wants to sell it and not pay the taxes on it. So this is a great way for him to do that. So any highly appreciated asset, a lot of times it's people's primary place of residence. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they can't do 1031 exchanges on those types of properties. Um, so they do a deferred sales trust instead. So it works really well for folks that want to create income off of the assets that they have and they don't want to pay the taxes on it. So like I said earlier, you have to pay the taxes at some point on these and you can defer it, like Michael said, multi-generational. However, if you were deferred for, let's say, 10 years and then you want to uh, disperse the trust after that, or, or let's say you die prior to those 10 years, then a lot of times we'll set up a life insurance policy on the owner of that asset. So when that person dies, then the life insurance policy, in essence, pays for the taxes. So it's a great estate planning tool. So we use this a lot for estate planning folks. So, and to get into the nuts and bolts of this, when um, you have Realtor A dealing with Realtor B, before they, when they list the property, is it listed under the trust? No, no, it's, it's or it's still the no, same thing. Same thing. 
Yeah, same thing. Yeah, but everything's when, still the same. So they're going to sell it to the trust, and the trust sells it to the buyer. Well, in essence, the trust buys <coughs> buys the asset, right. then sells it to the to the, the buyer, the new buyer right. and then the proceeds go into the trust as the seller now is the co-owner, if you will, of the trust, and then he can make choices of how that, those monies are to be invested. Now, let me make something clear here, too, because a lot of clients sell a high, highly appreciated asset. Let's say they're going to take $5 million out. They want to eventually buy another piece of property. Maybe they're downsizing in their property. They only want um, a, you know, a two-bedroom place, and they've, they're gone, they've gone from a 5,000-square-foot house or something. They can take what, whatever dollar amount they take out of that $5 million profit, for instance, if, let's say they take out a million dollars, then that million dollars will be taxable to them, but the four million that stays in there will stay in the trust and will not be taxed. So you can take some money out and use it for real estate or any other purpose that you want, but whatever you take out of the trust will be taxable. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. With the proceeds, you know, all of it going in, you can retain some and, you know, just pick and choose how much taxes you want to pay with the proceeds. Absolutely. And a lot of times people will, will go into the trust and keep it there for a number of years. Maybe real estate prices are really high right now, so they want to sell, but they don't want to buy right now. So they do the deferred sales trust for a year or two or five. And then when the market's better, then they then they take some of the money out and do uh, a transaction. Then, then it's taxable to them, of course, at that point. But then the, whatever they leave in there will be tax advantage to them as they leave it there. Okay, so there's some benefits uh, from the uh, from the uh, deferred trust sale, and I've got some here. We're gonna we're gonna cover that when we come back. Richard's giving us the uh, index finger, saying we're gonna have to take another quick <laughs> commercial break. I'm talking with Michael Morando and Kelly Slot. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. We were talking to Kelly Slot and Michael Morando, and this, this is pretty interesting stuff. Um, talking about the estate planning, uh, deferred trust sales. What caught my eye here is, you know, who benefits from the deferred sales trust? Anyone with assets. What kind of assets? Business and professional practices. Um, major stock positions. Cars, very valuable arts, painting, boats, collectibles. Real estate, you would think, you would only think real estate, but, you know, we were just talking off, you know, gold positions, silver positions. My father-in-law has a huge silver position. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Michael was saying, Michael, why don't you, uh, we, were, we were, you had some pretty good stuff off, off air. I hope you didn't forget it. <laughs> Me too. He's, yeah. a, he's a smart guy. <laughs> no, the the deferred sales trust. One of the things that originally attracted Kelly and I to this uh, type of a strategy was that as we sit around and look at all the folks around us in Santa Barbara, we're all very deep in real estate. We are all I call it real estate rich and cash poor. And as we've seen uh, prices appreciate over the last number of years, we've all experienced this market together here in Santa Barbara, where folks are, and, and I'm going to turn solely and specifically for this immediate conversation about primary residences, we have a lot of folks that bought in the, the early uh, 60s, late 70s, and their home prices have appreciated extraordinary, and they are not selling because, again, they are real estate rich and cash poor. And this is one way to turn 
that primary residence, those commercial real estate, those, you know, those residential income properties now into liquidity. We have a strategy that allows us to take this illiquid investment and now turn it into a liquidity factor. And as Kelly kind of alluded to, we can buy life insurance. We can buy long-term care. We can buy other investments that allow us to have income come off of those and, and in essence, hedge against our end-of-life uh, type of state planning. So this tool is very, very strong for that. I did want to mention here, if you don't mind, um, a lot of times we'll be talking to clients who love the idea of not having to pay taxes on a highly appreciated asset. They bring in their CPA and attorneys, which we then get on the phone and do conference calls with our corporate attorneys and corporate CPAs that we use to set these up. But sometimes we'll get at CPAs and attorneys that have never heard of the Deferred Sales Trust. And why haven't I heard about it? It it doesn't seem to be something that would be possible. Uh, So they a lot of times, or sometimes, they, they won't believe us in what we're doing here. But let me say that the Deferred Sales Trust was started by Robert Binkley 21 years ago. It's um, been very viable for very many years. We've been audited 13 different times by the IRS and had no problems whatsoever, uh, flew through with no problems, no issues or anything. So 13 audits is pretty good to get through. Um, I dare say most of us would not like to be audited at all, but they've flown through those no problems. So it's been around for a long time. It's not new. It's just a, a different, it's, it's like Mike said, it's a type of installment sale. So it's not an exact t- installment sale because you're releasing the property. You're not tied to the property anymore, which a lot of clients actually love. They li- like the installment sale or perhaps they've done them before, but they don't want to be tied to a specific piece of property anymore. So Mike said this, this creates a liquidity event. It absolutely does. So it gives you access to those funds that you've had tied up for a long time. And that's... Yeah, I get it. I actually, I don't one hundred percent get it. It's gonna have to. I'm gonna have to really think about it a little bit more. And I'm not, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that. Because, no, and you're not unusual with know. that because it's a new concept for a lot of folks. They haven't heard of it, but that's okay. We're here to educate. We're actually having a seminar on April 10th um, out in Goleta. If you'd like some more information, uh, give give Mike or I or I a call, or Guy can have that information as well. Uh, 11:30 meeting at out in Goleta. Uh, um, excuse me, April 10th. And we're going to have Bob Binkley, the creator of the Deferred Sales Trust, come in and speak about it. So if you have any questions, you can absolutely go to the source and he'll be able to answer all those for you. But we're having a series of these seminars here in Santa Barbara with Bob to cover these. They're getting exponentially more and more people each time we do them because people are getting it now. They're starting to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. So it makes a whole lot of sense. So by all means, come out and have a listen and see what you think when you get a little more educated. So that's a- April 10th, and it's at that new restaurant out there. What's it called? Yeah, Flight it's at Line? Flight Line. Yeah, the, new, yeah, the old cool uh, Elephant Bar. Yeah. yeah, the old Elephant Bar. Everybody knows where that was. So, um, yeah, come on out. We, we'd love to have you. We need to know who all is coming because we have limited seating. But uh, give us a call. We'll give our information towards the end here. But it's going to be a great educational tool. So when you say here 1031 exchange alternative or rescue, what is the rescue portion of it? The alternative I see, but what's the rescue portion? Right. I think as most of the audience that we're speaking to out there are very familiar, as, as Guy even said, the 1031 exchange process is mainstream. We understand the process. We're doing it all the time. A number of you out there have already done it. You know, within that structure, 
There's a lot of dates, 45 days for this, 180 days for that. Basically, sometimes we get stuck. Did I identify enough properties? Are they really available to me when I go to transact the transaction? If I don't, I have a taxable event, correct? Well, in this structure, within the Deferred Sales Trust structure, we have the ability within that 1031 exchange process to rescue it if in the event an individual gets stuck, properties fall out, they're no longer available, I didn't identify enough or I didn't identify the proper uh, properties to replace, we have the ability to step in and help you to take it from a true 1031 like-for-like replacement to a 1031 to the deferred sales trust. That's pretty, you know what, that in itself um, has value in in this product because I I have seen that. I've seen people be rushed into 1031 exchanges, you know, not being able to identify the like property, not being able to have you know, the financing in place that needed to be in place. I mean, it's, that adds value to this product, and I understand that portion of it. The let, one- let me say, if you don't mind me, Michael, um, I have a client call me, <laughs> believe it or not, two days ago, and it was a, 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 a relation to one of my clients, so I didn't know this gentleman well, but he is in the process of having to identify his 45-day period is over within two, three days from now. And two of the properties he had wanted to identify fell out of escrow. One of them, he's not so sure it's even going to work at all. So what's he going to do? Well, he can set up this deferred sales trust and avoid the taxes just because the properties that he had listed are really not going to be uh, go to fruition for him, unfortunately. So we can come in and rescue people in those situations, and we can set them up very quickly. It can be a day or two that, w- that we can do it. Now, we don't like to do that. We like to have a little more time than that. But as far as a rescue situation, we can help people in those situations. Enhanced retirement income. Explain that to me. Okay, so when you do a deferred sales trust, you, in essence, are getting cash. So, if, like, for instance, the, the example I used earlier, they had a million-dollar property. They put $5 million into the deferred sales trust. Well, you now have $5 million you can create income off of. So if we establish, let's say, a 5%, which is very typical of what we can do these days, get about a 5 6% dividend rate on that $5 million, there's income that can come to you directly from the trust and support your retirement. So it's a great tool to have enhancement for your retirement, increase your income for retirement. I mean, there's so many different things we can do as a financial, you know, I'm speaking to you today as the estate planning team representative, but I am also a financial advisor, as is Michael. So we do have a plethora of things that we can use to create income for folks as far as investments go. So enhanced retirement income, so you're making 5%, 6% off of a million dollars in there, and you're taking it out of that trust and you're enhancing the retirement income of the beneficiary of that trust, which is the owner, co-owner of that trust, right? You got it. You're smart dude, Yeah, guy. so I try. <laughs> um, that portion's taxable, obviously. 
Yes, it's going to be taxable to you. Now, the trust is an entity of itself. It has to have a business entity to it. So the trust will create income. So the trust, let's say the trust creates 7% income and you take out 5% income. That's good. The IRS wants to see it as a business entity. So there's a lot more to it than what we're telling you here today. (coughs) But uh, know that we've got it all bases covered. And yes, um, the money that you take out will be taxable. The money that this trust creates in and of itself can be tax-free or tax-advantaged. But whatever you take out of the trust, as your retirement income supplement will be taxable. Benefit on that, your tax bracket probably a moving target with this type of trust on the income that you're pulling from the trust. So there's all kinds of moving targets. And I'm really not that smart, but I do know when Richard puts up his finger, we got to take one more quick commercial break. Uh, you're listening to Kelly Slot, Michael Morando. This is very interesting stuff. You guys um, should reach out to him if you want to know more about this. You're listening to Guy Rivera, your guy in the mortgage industry. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back for our final segment. This has been really interesting stuff here. We're talking to Michael Morando, Kelly Slot. Um, I better... I'm going to read their disclosures, and then we're going to wrap it up real quick. Um, because there's, I mean, we can go on and on and talk about this. <coughs> One question I have, though, um, single asset LLCs, can that be treated exactly? Li- I know that a single asset, so if I had a building, one single asset LLC, I've got three or four of them. I don't want to sell this one. It's in, and it's and it's in my LLC, but it's single asset. Will that work just the same? Absolutely correct. Okay. We have the ability to break up LLCs. We have the ability to break up tenants in common. We have the ability to break up partnerships. The uniqueness of the deferred sales trust is the ability to be flexible in so many different ways. So the trust buys it. What if I at one point? We liquidate the whole thing. Would I be buying it back from the trust, or is it just dispersed and then taxed as if the property was being sold on that on that price point that we uh, liquidated it at? I would say that there's a little bit of tax. Again, this is where we bring in our tax attorney and our tax CPA to give you an exact answer. But by and large, it is a taxable event. And depending on how we place the assets into the trust is how we're going to be taxed on the way coming out. Yes. So let me just say here, if that's okay with you, um, how you get started with this. How, how do you, if you're interested and you want to find out more about it, we want, would love for you to come to April 10th seminar that we're having, 1130 at the Flightline restaurant in Goleta. Or what you could do is if you have an asset that you are thinking about selling and you want to know what the tax ramifications are if you sold it or if you did a deferred sales trust and what kind of income streams could you get from that. We have a form that you fill out. It's a very simple form. Just contact us and we'll get that form to you. Uh, Then we take it to the deferred sales trust team and they give us estimates on where you stand in as far as taxes go or income streams. Kelly, give us your phone number where people can reach you directly if they wanted to call Kelly. Okay, our, our phone number is 805-569-1982, 805-569-1982. My email is kelly at tremblayfinancial.com. It's K-E-L-L-E-Y at tremblay, T-R-E-M-B-L-A-Y, financial.com. 
And Michael is he can he can be reached at the same one five six nine one nine eight two, but he's at extension fifteen. And um, I guess it's uh, Michael. What's your email address? It's m morando m o r a n d o at tremblyfinancial.com. dot com. Direct hit. I'm just right on it today, even <laughs> though I'm a little bit uh, you know. Go. Okay, let me get this uh, disclosure out of the way because it's there behind, not mine. Kelly Slot and Michael Miranda are registered representatives of Centaurus Financial. Members of the estate planning team, Centaurus Financial Inc., and the estate planning team are not affiliated entities. As an estate ta- uh, planning team member, Kelly Slot, Michael Miranda promotes the use of the Deferred Sales Trust or other estate planning techniques to individuals as an outside business activity, which is unrelated to his affiliation with Centaurus. Financial Inc. The estate planning team and the Deferred Sales Trust are unrelated to Centaurus Financial Inc. And the Centaurus Financial Inc. is not responsible for, nor does it endorse, recommendations made by members of the estate planning team, including the Deferred Sales Trust or other tax, legal, or estate planning strategies. That's a long disclosure. Yeah. What the hell is That's that? That's written by about? attorneys. Come we on, love attorneys, really? but they they can be long-winded. Jeez, Louise. I mean, come on, man. That's half my show right there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Guys. I mean, I, I, I What the it hell is what was it is. that, Richard? I mean, I just gave him like most of my show. All right. So, Richard, tell me we've got 1 minute to go and I really want to thank you guys. For showing up today. I know it was impromptu, but I thought after our meeting yesterday it would be very cool. You're here. I think we got some good stuff out. Anybody call me that wants to get in touch with Kelly or Michael, if you didn't get their numbers, give me a call. 687-6282, extension 13. This has been Guy Rivera Mortgage Matters, your guy in the mortgage industry. See you next week. That was a tasteful and moving program, Mr. Rivera. 